Well, good day and welcome to the online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt. Uh, it's great you're watching with us today. Today's online ministry has been prepared for uh, Sunday, the 11th of June, 2023. Friends, as we begin, hear these words of scripture from Matthew 28. At the end of his gospel, he says, Jesus promised, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, that is a great promise and a great promise that will come up again a bit later on as we think about God's word together. Uh, but let's begin in a time of praise.
as we come to the ministry of God's word, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, please keep your church with your continual mercy, because without you we cannot but fail. Father, keep us always under your protection and lead us to everything that makes for our salvation. Father, we ask that you would guide us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, our Bible readings today begin in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Then our psalm for the day is Psalm 67, the whole thing. And finally, our next reading is 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through to 21. So pause the video, take a moment now to have a read through those uh, that I'll come to share from God's word in a moment as we think about our core value number five. Well, let us pray again as we come to uh, think through this together. Heavenly Father, please be guiding us. Please be using us. Please be showing us your heart and help us to align ours to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is week six and our final week in our Purpose and Values series. Uh, over the last while, we've been looking at our purpose statement, which of course is growing in Christ. In the last four weeks, we've looked at our core values that align with our purpose statement, which begin biblical teaching, prayer, godly service, and last week we looked at discipleship, a discipleship which is one of the two sides of growing in Christ. That is, we grow spiritually as we mature as Jesus' disciples. And so today, we're thinking about the other side of growing in Christ, and as we look at our existing core values, we might expect to find something that aligns with that numerical side of growth as people are introduced to Jesus. But if we look at them, what we find is a core value that says loving people. Uh, what does that mean? That's very broad. Now, originally when the core values, when our church set down these, uh, there was a two sentence kind of summary description after each of them, which told us what, what was at the heart of it. Now listen to what the uh, description is for loving people. It reads, Every person is made in God's image and is therefore precious to him. Is that alright so far? Yep, it is. Uh, it keeps going. God calls his people to love others by pointing them to Jesus in word and deed. Right? That's the heart of it. And so I want to say that we would be better serving ourselves if we were clear right from the start which is why we want to change the wording of this purpose, uh, sorry, um, this proposed core value to be, number five, outreach, right? Loving people to outreach. Now, some churches put this under the, the banner of evangelism or mission, but as a church, outreach is the word that we commonly use in this kind of space. And so that's the one we're going to go with. Now, outreach, it's all about partnering with God to see people saved through a relationship with Jesus. And there are many, many things we can do as part of our outreach efforts, uh, like things that show practical love to people in our community. Now, these are good and loving things to do, but they're not for us actually the main game, right? And so we can't be vague when it comes to our goal in this area as a church. Why would we relegate uh, 
the chief thing, God's chief purpose in the world to a simply a sub-point of a core value of ours. Now, we don't want to do that. And to be sure, God, God the Father does have a heart for the lost. Right? The Bible story, Genesis to Revelation, it's one big story about God's promise of salvation of people who are alienated from him. All right, listen to this from Ezekiel 34. For this, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Or think about this one from Isaiah 50, uh, 45. He says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Right? Make no mistake, God has a heart for the lost. But then, when God the Son, Jesus turns up on earth, what do we expect his chief concern to be? Do we think it's anything different? If you were to say, hey Jesus, hey bro, what are you on about? What is your chief concern? I think his reply would be similar to what he said to Zacchaeus, right? In Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So you can see God has told us clearly that he has a heart for the lost. But we don't only hear it in his words, we see it in his actions as well. Right? John 3.16, you'll know this verse. For God so loved the world, a loveless and rebellious world, that is. He so loved it that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? which is otherwise what we're destined for, but have eternal life. Right, God, God quite literally puts put skin in the game. Right, God's core business is glorifying himself as people are saved from their sin, forgiven through Jesus, and come into relationship with him. And so the question might be, how does this happen? How do sinners come to salvation? Well, let me tell you, the biblical pattern is people are saved into relationship with Jesus as the gospel is proclaimed through his people and through prayerful dependence on the Spirit. Right? We cannot say that we're doing outreach unless, uh, unless we aim to be actually sharing the gospel with people, that, unless that's happening. We're not actually doing outreach in the first place. And we therefore need to be clear on what the gospel is. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a message about God. That he is the one who made everything in the whole universe and our lives rightly belong to him. The gospel is a message about sin. That we are guilty of not treating him as he deserves. We try and do things our way. We muck up God's world. And in fact, there's nothing we can do to fix our relationship with him on our own. And the consequence is that we rightly stand under his judgment. Thirdly, the gospel is a message about Jesus. That he is the son of God who came to die and save us from our sins, bring us forgiveness. And he offers us new life with God right now and for eternity. And finally, the gospel is a call to repentance and faith. Faith is the, the abandoning of all confidence in ourselves and trusting completely in the power of Jesus' blood to redeem us. 
And repentance is giving up, living for ourselves as number one, and living with him now as Lord of our lives. Right? This is the gospel message. This is an announcement that needs to be declared and that needs a response. So the question is then, who has the job of proclaiming this gospel message? Well, I think you know the answer. Right? This good news has been entrusted to every believer. Right? Reading through the New Testament, it's proclaimed through the leaders of the church. Yeah, sure. But also through ordinary believers. Right? Listen again to the charge Jesus gave his disciples before his ascension. Right? Matthew 28, the very end of the gospel. 28 verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Of course, he is speaking directly to his uh, 12 disciples at this point. But to this command, he adds a promise. He adds a promise I read at the start that we see at the end of verse 20. He says, go and make disciples. Then verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want you to see that the comprehensiveness of this promise shows us how wide the application of the, com- of the command is. Uh, the phrase, to the very end of the age, makes it clear that the you to whom the promise was given is not just the, those original disciples. No, this promise extends to the whole Christian community throughout history. It's a promise that God is with us as we reach out to others with the good news of Jesus. But, if you want some more explicit passages, well, here's a couple for you. Uh, Take, for example, Colossians 4. Uh, Paul says to the Christians there, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Or take this one from 1 Peter 3. He He says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, both Paul and Peter here are both saying, Hey, you Christians, you need to be ready to share the gospel with people who don't yet know Jesus. And so I want to make it really clear here that sharing the message of the gospel is something for all of Jesus' followers to be engaged in without distinction. Now, is it true that some people seem to be more naturally gifted at it than others? Sure. Uh, Is it true that uh, some people have a more formal calling to it, like ministers, pastors of a church? Yeah. But that should in no way take away from God's desire for each of his people to be sharing this greatest news that we could ever possibly know with people around us who so desperately need to hear it. And if Jesus, if he is someone who is who has an intense heart for the lost, someone who is all about outreach, what does this mean for us as we seek to be following him as his disciples? Right To follow Jesus then is to be someone on mission with him. Because When it comes to outreach, when it comes to making disciples, God graciously chooses to partner with us in the task. Now, it's not that God does some of the work and then gives us the rest of the work to do. It's not like that. No, God works sovereignly in, under, 
and through us to achieve his purpose in bringing people to Jesus. This is how God works to reach the lost, through his people, through ordinary people like you and I. Now, other than what we've already looked at, what should be our motivation? What should be the things that, that move us to, to constant and constantly spur us on towards outreach? Well, I think there's two things. The first is a love for God and concern for his glory. Right, the, the 16th century reformers said that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Oh, what a great purpose statement for our lives. Uh, Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? If we long to glorify God, we should be eager to, to desire to do the works that he's committed to us. And one of these things is to go and make disciples, to tell other people that life-changing news about Jesus. But we glorify God through outreach, not simply because we, not simply by obeying God, but also simply because God is glorified as we speak of his mighty works with the world. Right? When we speak to unbelievers about the saving power of Jesus and the work it's done in our lives, this in itself is honoring and glorifying to God. And the second motivation for us in sharing the gospel with others in outreach is a love for others and a desire for their best. Right, come with me now to the second reading we had in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, here the Apostle Paul is speaking about his own reasons for proclaiming the gospel. Now, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11 he says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try and persuade others. Now, one of the things that Paul is getting at here is that his concern for outreach stems from an awareness that without Jesus, all people face the prospect of final judgment before an awesome God. In context, he's speaking about his motives in contrast to other teachers, other, other teachers that have bad motives, false motives, personal gain and profit is on their mind. Paul says, that's not me. I'm not after those things. Neither money nor status is what compels me to preach the gospel. Now, sadly, the same thing can't be said for all Bible teachers around the world. But, have a look down at verse 14 for what does compel him to preach the gospel. Verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us. Right? If you know the love of Jesus in your life, that he died for you so that you can be forgiven, right? that should naturally lead for a desire for other people to experience that same love and forgiveness that we have. Right? That's the case for Paul. And ideally hope that that's, the, that's true in your life as well. And the result, we see it down in verse 16. He says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Right? Paul is speaking of how our vision of people changes when we know the love of Jesus ourselves. We should no longer see people through the eyes of the world, rather we should see them through God's eyes. Now, for me, that means that uh, for a guy I played touch footy with back in the day, Nath, that means for a guy I used to work with, Dan, that means that both these guys, not simply a touch footy player, not simply someone I worked with, but both of these guys are image bearers of God and precious to him. 
And yet both of these guys are facing an eternity apart from God because of their sin, unless they hear and respond to the gospel and give their lives to Jesus in repentance and faith. And Paul says in verses 17 and 18 then, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, verse 18, and all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There is nothing people need to hear in their lives more urgently than the love that Jesus has for them. This is our privilege to share. And so there's our motivations for outreach. A love for God and concern for his glory and a love for others and desire for their best. Right? It's right that these two things weigh on our hearts and that we pray that God would renew our affections so that this twin love for God and others, that that would kindle our hearts towards outreach. Because for each of us, for me, for you watching, we have people in our lives who we speak to every week, or perhaps every day, who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with him. And for us, we can show people all the acts of, all the acts of kindness that we want, but if we neglect to share the gospel with them, we can never truly say that we love them. Unless we're willing to share Jesus, we can never say that we want the best for them, can we? In his book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, uh, J.I. Packer has this one line that's it, it's done a number on my heart this week as I reflect on it again and again, as I think about my own fears and hesitations in outreach. J.I. Packer says, We need to press on our conscience this question. Which matters more? Our reputation or their salvation? Which matters more? Our reputation or their salvation? Does that unsettle your heart as much as it unsettles mine? But we need to take heart in this this work God has set before us. Because we have a massive God who can do what we think is impossible. There is nothing too hard for him. There is no one too far from him. This is God's heart for the world. And it should be our heart for the people that we know. Now, this is why we want to move uh, from the language of core value five being loving people to, to explicitly being outreach. We want people to know and be saved by the gospel of Jesus. Now, I just want to stop here uh, and help think through uh, some of the implications for, for us then as a church and for, for us as individuals as we walk with Jesus in outreach. And the first thing is to say that outreach happens as a church, which might sound really obvious. Now, I want to say that as a church, we need to be intentional and know what we're aiming for if we want to be effective in outreach. Right? It can begin with simple acts of love. But remember, sharing the gospel must be the aim. That must be the end, the outcome. People, if we want people to come to faith in Jesus and growing as as his disciples while they're established in our church... Right, that's the goal. For that to happen, people need a chance to hear the gospel clearly and respond to the claims of Jesus for themselves. Now, there are lots of ways that can happen. 
Uh, for most evangelical churches in Australia uh, who, who see a lot of people come to know Jesus, uh, the most effective thing in their toolbox at the present time is an evangelistic course. Uh, 60 years ago, that wasn't the case. In other countries, it's still not the case. In the future, it may not be the case. But right now, in 21st century Australia, evangelistic courses have been proven as an effective way of explaining the gospel to both large and small groups. And so for us, as a church, uh, last year we started using a specific evangelistic course called Introducing God. Right, it's a seven-week course, uh, and we're convinced that this is where we want our non-Christian contacts to land with us as a church as part of our effective and deliberate approach in outreach. And the reason, reasons are because, firstly, it presents the gospel really clearly and really helpfully. Uh, secondly, it gives people the time they need to explore and to think about the claims of Jesus, no matter where they're starting from. Thirdly, it gives them really clear opportunities to give their lives to Jesus at multiple, at multiple points. And finally, it naturally opens up the way to follow up as well, because we want people to be established after the fact. Now, introducing God is not the only way that people will become Christians at our church, but it's a key part of our deliberate approach. Now, if you know one particular couple at our family service, this course, Introducing God, for them, it was the catalyst for giving their lives to Jesus late last year. Praise God that that happened. And so we want you to know that uh, with our church, if you see or as you see other outreach events coming up in the middle part of this year, whether it's a bonfire or a dinner or something else, we want you to see these events as simply stepping stones to help people connect with Christians and Christianity, to ask questions with the aim that they would land at an Introducing God course. And so for you as you watch, a question might right now might be, who in your life, who in your life would you love to see come to Introducing God? Who are the people that you're going to commit to be praying for over the next few months? Who are you going to ask God for opportunities with? Who are you asking God that they would see Jesus clearly? And so uh, that's one thing about church, about outreach rather, at a church level. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is, secondly, church outreach won't be successful without us working together in personal outreach. Right? In other words, don't wait until you hear about an outreach event or about an Introducing God course coming up uh, before you start looking for opportunities with people. Right? Always be on the lookout for the people you know uh, on opportunities to go deeper with them. That's right, so that when an opportunity comes up to plug them into an outreach event, it feels much more natural, uh, like a, the obvious next step in exploring things you've talked about rather than, rather than something that's kind of forced for them. All right, for many people, uh, the idea of personal outreach can seem like a bit of a scary thing and it can feel like uh, a, a pretty big task. You might be saying, saying, I just don't even know where to start here. Now, we don't have time right now to dig into the, uh, the practical side of personal outreach, but we do have training events that happen throughout the year. And so as you see them jump up, head along to them, right? Don't miss them. But as a first step, uh, if you haven't yet, I couldn't recommend enough uh, that you read Sam Chan's book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, right? This 
is an outreach resource that everyone in the church needs to read. Right? And by God's grace, it'll make that big task of personal outreach seem much more achievable. Uh, I have copies here at the church to, to lend out if you need one, but grab a, grab a copy and have a read of it. Uh, it's a must read. Church outreach and personal outreach, they work best together. Let me finish by giving you three really practical things to take away. Number one, I want to share with you one line that might be the catalyst to transform someone's life. That line is, would you like to read the Bible with me? Simple, isn't it? Uh, But God's word is the sword of the spirit. And so we shouldn't be surprised when people read God's word, encounter Jesus, and then that becomes part of the path for them coming to faith in the first place. Right? Often I think we can psych ourselves out of it and think that there is no way my friend would ever go for that. But I think the surprising thing is actually how many of the people we know would be open to it. Would you like to read the Bible with me? Something really simple, but it can open up an opportunity to transform someone's life through Jesus. Now the second thing, look for opportunities to share your story. Right, the first question in the 21st century uh, person's mind is, it's often not, is the Bible true? But rather their question is, what difference would Jesus make to my life? Right, it might be that as, as someone hears about Jesus and the work that he's done in your life, that room for further conversations then open up just naturally. Third thing I want to say, uh, here's a question that I want you to always have in your mind as you think about those people that you're praying for, that you're looking for opportunities for. The question is, what is the next step for my friend in coming to know Jesus? What's the next step? Now, of course, we should never forget the big aim. We want them to encounter the gospel and give their lives to Jesus. But we need to be helpful for ourselves and think about one step at a time. Uh, And so for your friend, the, the next step might be Uh, looking for an opportunity simply to talk about things in life that matter, but then open the way to talking about spiritual things or church, perhaps. Uh, The next step might be, how can you connect your non-Christian friends with your Christian friends to make the totally unbelievable news about Jesus more believable? Or the next step might be, having talked about faith a little bit, uh, who could I invite to read the Bible with me? Or who could I invite to come along with me to introducing God? Friends, there's a whole lot of really simple things. There's a whole lot of big things that we could keep thinking about. But what does Jesus want for us as his disciples? He wants us to walk with him in reaching the lost. Right? This should be the thing that our hearts burn for. Hear these words to finish. From 1 John 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Amen.
Well, we come now to a time of prayer. And so in a moment, that classic blue screen will come up and pause the video. Be praying for big things, small things, all things, because we have a great big God uh, who can do what seems impossible for us. Uh, be especially using this time to pray for three or four people you know in your life who you want to come, who, who you want to come to see the Lord Jesus. Right? Be praying for opportunities you have with them. Be praying that you would be wise in the way that you speak. Be praying that uh, as you do, uh, God would open their hearts and help them see Jesus clearly. Uh, let's be praying for all these things, and then we'll have another time of praise.
finish our time together by reading those few verses again from Colossians chapter 4. In verses 5 and 6 Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. May that be true for you in your life. Uh, Let's keep partnering with Jesus as he does his work in the world. Uh, bringing sinners to salvation through his blood shed on the cross for us. Go in peace. Have a great week.